let's get into the Word of God here, Psalms chapter 19. We notice here right at the bat, to the chief musician, a Psalm of David. It's yet another Psalm, Psalm of David, the, the Psalmist of Israel, as he was a worshiper of the Lord, and as the Holy Spirit oftentimes moved upon him in pinning the Word of God. And in this Psalm, I kind of see it in, in three compartments. Uh, the first six verses, David really focuses in on creation, in particular the firmament and the stars and the sun and so forth. And he speaks of how uh, the firmament and creation itself, it's a witness of the person of God to mankind and how creation itself uh, worships the living God and how the voice of creation and in particular, again, the stars and such goes forth to all of mankind. And we'll see in Romans, it's that initial, one of those initial witnesses that is there to stir the heart of man to grow after God and how it is a witness that will leave all men without excuse who don't come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Verses 7 through 11, David talks about the word of God itself and talks about how God's word is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, and righteous. And how there is great reward in keeping and walking in the word of God. And it's amazing, the word of God is very bold throughout the word of God, proclaiming that this is the word of God and it is without fault and so forth. And God wants us to walk in that confidence and so forth, having the word of God do a wonderful work in our life. And then with these things said in verses 12 through 14, David brings some personal application to himself and really closes uh, giving glory and praise and bringing prayer before our Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And it is scripture that speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you even see the title of the message, Creation, Commandments, and Christ. And we see these things beautifully woven together in this psalm. So let's dive into it here. I want to read the first six verses and we'll kind of take it a section at a time and just pray that God blesses this word to uh, you know what, our, 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 our person, our being, and that he'll be glorified in our time here. Uh, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day under day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the ends, to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. There is nothing hidden from its heat. Notice here again, verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God. And when the word of God speaks of heavens, it really speaks of three heavens. And oftentimes we'll see these things referred to the sky or the atmosphere, which you can go out and observe after service. Maybe by chance you looked up and you observed that on your way here this morning as the first heaven. At night, we see the second heaven. We see the moon, the stars, and the setting of them, and, and, and maybe it would be called space and so forth. And the third heaven is that place where the throne of God is. Third heaven, the spiritual heaven, which is really above all of these things. And it says here, the heavens declare the glory of God. And indeed, all three of those heavens declare the glory of God. This psalm in particular seems to focus more in on the second heaven, uh, where we see the stars, the moon, and the sun, and so forth. And notice here, it says, the heavens declare 
the glory of God or they proclaim the glory of God. Now, this word glory, it's an interesting word. It's, it's a word that's used still in our speech, though our vocabulary and so forth is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and it seems that words' meanings are being manipulated and changed. And so I really wanted to get a, a deeper understanding of that word glory. And it's interesting, the word gloria, amongst other definitions, it means high renown or honor won by notable achievements. And I think it's pretty, a pretty notable achievement that God spoke and all these things came into existence. Wouldn't you agree? That's, that's quite, a bit, quite an achievement there, God. Spoke and it came into existence. How often times do we give and he, and he glory on men? And we should give honor where honor is due, but we worship man as God. But what have we really done? Anything we do, really, any abilities we have are only given to us by God. God spoke and this all came into existence. That is to his glory. The word glory, it means magnificent. It means great beauty. And creation around us in the heavens, it, it, it is a revelation of the great beauty of God. Not that these things are God, but it's a picture of the thumbprint of God. And if God can speak and all these things come into existence that are beautiful, and they're even beautiful even in a fallen state because when man sinned, a curse came upon creation and really everything changed. And even in the fallen state, they are beautiful. But God who made them is so much more glorious and magnificent and beautiful and again, quite a notable achievement that he spoke and these things indeed came into existence and they declare his glory. Again, Psalm 33, 6, it says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. And I would encourage you, I would encourage you to take time. And I think this is something we should do regularly to look up. I mean, so oftentimes today we're looking here or we're looking down like this, right? I drove home the other night, and I drove by City Hall and Second Gardens. There were like 40 people out there going like this. And I couldn't help it. I rolled down my window, and I yelled, Pokemon! And I kind of looked around, and so forth. But, but look up. I mean, look, look at the beauty of creation and the stars and the moon and the sun. It, it declares the glory of God that he spoke, and all these things came into existence. Again, quite a notable achievement. We need to be taking note of that. These things declare that God is above all gods and it shows his wisdom and how this is all orchestrated and, and moves and is sustained by him. Uh, as it says in Colossians 1, 2, uh, he is before all things and in him all things consist. And Jeremiah 10, 11 and 12, thus you shall say to them, the gods have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. He has made the earth by his power and has established the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens at his discretion. What a wonderful God we have. And indeed, no other God has done this, no fallen angel, not man. He spoke and this came to be. And it declares, again, how he is king of kings and lord of lords and above everything. It shows his wisdom and the workings of it and how he holds it all together. Again, quite a notable achievement, wouldn't you say? And in all of this, it really is, is mind-blowing that when you consider all of this and the grandeur of it and the glory of all of it, that we were created in his likeness and image. Listen to what David said in Psalm 8, 3 and 4, when I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, 
the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? All of the beauty of creation and the vastness of all of it, and yet we were created in his image and his likeness and his thoughts towards us outnumber the sands of the sea. What a wonderful God we have. Notice here on the second half of verse 1, and the firmament shows his handiwork. And in Genesis, we read about the firmament where God separated the waters below from the waters above. And again, speaks of the heavens and so forth. And he spoke this and yet he fashioned it with his hand, even as he took dust and he formed man by his hand and he breathed into man and life came to man. And consider this, the same hands that fashioned these things and brought them together, even before the foundation of the world, we read in Revelation 13, 8, the lamb was slain before the foundations of the world. And even as those hands were creating man, God knew he was going to create man with a free will, and he knew that men would choose to be their own God, and yet he knew he would come to have his hands pierced, those very hands that made us would be pierced to show his love for us and to build that bridge so that we could choose to come back to him as he is convicting us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and is trying to woo all of mankind back to himself. What a marvelous God indeed we have. Verse 2, it says, day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. So each day and each night says something and reveals something about our God. Romans chapter 1, really verse 18 through the end of the chapter, speaks of this in great detail. I want to read 18 through 23. And again, it's a text we look at often, and it's very pertinent to this day we're living in. And we see this being played out all around us, but, but let's read it together. And as we go through, I'll just point out a few things. It says here in Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Think about this. Day under day under speech, night under night reveals knowledge. And the glory of heaven reveals even a wrath against man. And we'll see how it does here. Against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. For what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, notice here, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. So in other words, day after day shows the power of God, the person of God. The design shows there's a designer. The creation shows that there is a creator, God who we can't see has shown us that indeed he is what is seen, and yet as men shun that and reject that, the very thing that reveals that there is a God reveals that there is wrath against man that shuns God who we will give an account to. Verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And boy, verse 22 there's so much of this today. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God, incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. God revealing himself through creation and yet man shunning the creator in his hardness of heart. Now it reveals the wrath of God against man. And then man professing to be wise shuns God, does not give thanks to God, and says, we're going to go with something came from nothing. 
utter foolishness. And day after day and night after night reveals this, reveals it to mankind. I'll tell you, day after day and night after night, it also, again, as it utters speech and reveals knowledge, the speech it utters is giving glory to God. Psalm 148.3, praise him, sun and moon, praise him, all you stars of light. And when you go out and you look up and you see the sun there in the firmament, you see the stars, you see the moon, understand that they are giving praise and glory to the living God. This is where you even get into the host of heaven and you almost see a relation with the stars and angels and so forth. And there's all kinds of mysteries in that. But one thing we do is we go out and as these things are tweaking and glowing and so forth, they're not saying, come worship me, but instead they are worshiping the one who fashioned those things and the one who fashioned us. Day after day as well and night after night reveals the mercy of God. Psalm 136.7, to him who made great lights, for his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule by night, for his mercy endures forever. And indeed, as Lamentation says, his mercies are new every morning. It reveals the long suffering of God. Men giving opportunity. God giving men opportunity to repent, to come to him. He's merciful to us. Now again, the day comes when men cease to be upon earth here. Yet in the meantime, God is merciful. Aren't you glad he was merciful to you? I'm glad he was merciful to me, that he extended my days to give me opportunity to respond to God who made himself known to me through creation and the gospel, the conviction of the Holy Spirit and so forth. And then another note, and there's many other things that the day and night speak and reveal, but as we went through Genesis, as we went through Revelation, we talked a lot about Israel and God's faithfulness to Israel. And in that, we see God's faithfulness to his church, and we rejoice in that, and we marvel in that. But we've also talked about many people that want to discount Israel, that want to be ignorant concerning Israel, though the book of Romans says not to be ignorant, that all Israel will be saved. And this isn't to the glory of Israel, it's to the glory of God Almighty, who has been faithful to Israel even in her faithlessness, and has brought her back as a nation Today And yet men want to stand up and say, well, God's done with Israel. And yet listen to Jeremiah 31, 35 through 36. It says, thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day and the ordinances of the moon and the stars for light by night. Who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If these ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Night and day revelation of God saying, I am not done with Israel. I'm going to keep my word to Abraham. I'm going to keep my word to Isaac, to Jacob, and to us who have been grafted in. We praise God because God keeps his word to us. And we'll talk more about that in verse 7 through 11. Verse 3 there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. So there's no language barrier in what they're saying, what they're revealing. There's not need for an interpretation. Their line has gone out or their voice has gone out. Their sound has gone out through all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun. So this revelation of God, the word of God declares this has gone everywhere. And the language that it speaks there's no language barrier. 
And it really puts men in a place where they are without excuse on Judgment Day if they chose to shun the creator of the world. It's interesting in Romans chapter 10, Paul takes this and talking about the spreading of the gospel. This verse right here, Romans 10, 18, Paul says, <coughs> excuse me, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And that God has given that initial revelation of himself through creation itself being there so man can see it and smell it and touch it and so forth. Psalm 97, 6, the heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. And then in Acts 14, 17, a ministry to Gentiles, Paul said, nevertheless, he did not leave himself without a witness and that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And you see many places around the world today where the gospel is not as prevalent as it is in other places. Though praise God, the gospel is going forth and we need to pray that it goes forth to all nations. But you've got to understand in those nations where they are, really it's the result of their ancestors and forefathers rejecting the witness of God Almighty that has been manifest in them and made evidence through creation itself and them saying, no, we do not want to worship the Son of God, we'll worship the sun in the sky. As so much pagan worship goes back to sun worship and so forth. And I'll tell you, in Christianity, when you see icons and so forth and they have the glow behind the head, it's the incorporation of sun worship with Christianity. It's compromise on behalf of the church. A lot of people are ignorant to that and so forth. But once we know and understand that, we need to be careful of how we're representing the Lord and so forth. So he's given this witness. And even to this day, there are so many that shun that witness. And really what they're doing is they're pushing away that initial voice of the Lord saying, I am God and you are not. You need to get right with me. And when they choose to slam that door, they give themselves over to a hardness of heart, professing to be wise, they became fools. And then you see that course there in Romans where they're given over to a debased mind as they worship the creation instead of the creator. And then they're even given over to ungodly lusts, men going after men and women after women. And really it all starts again with not giving God glory nor being thankful. And they say, we are so wise in this. We're going to shun a creator when we see again design all around us instead we're going to go with something came from nothing that's very foolish and to profess to be wise in that it's really utter foolishness but on the opposite side of this we see individuals throughout scripture who are given that witness and they begin to grope and in every case you see god being faithful to expand his witness to them to get them the gospel, the gospel, gospel, you know, Ethiopian eunuch there in Acts. And yes, he had, a, he had the, the, the prophet Isaiah's writings, but he still did not have understanding. And I have to think that he even acquired that through the response of God making himself manifest through creation to him. And what did God do? God was faithful to send Philip to go down and share the gospel with him. And he said, hey, what prohibits me from being baptized? There's some water right there. And Philip, after his experience with the Samaritans, you know, he says, well, if you believe with all of our heart, your heart, you may. And he said, I believe. Think about Cornelius, this Gentile, 
who was seeking after the Lord. And again, no doubt, it began from that initial response of even creation. And God was faithful to send Peter to him with the gospel. And not only did he believe, but all in his household believed. And a revival broke out that day. Think about Paul and his companions. They were desperately trying to go into Asia as they were you know, thinking this is where God wants us to be. But God allowed Satan to prevent them from going to Asia. And then that night, Paul has a dream of a man in Macedonia saying, hey, come over here. As they were groping for God and they went and the gospel was shared and many responded, even today. Listen, in the part of the world where there's the least amount of missionaries, really the greatest revival is taking place there in the Middle East, where now it's not just hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands, but literally millions are coming out of Islam and coming to faith in Jesus Christ because as they're seeing this lie that they have put hope in is bankrupt and as they respond to, again, that conviction of the Holy Spirit that started with the revelation of God Almighty through creation, Jesus himself is appearing to these individuals in dreams and telling them where to go to hear the gospel. And indeed, scores of them are getting born again and saved. And you know that's a real conversion when it's hey, accept me, be washed, but there's a good chance you'll die. Find a difference between that false prosperity gospel of, hey, come to Jeannie Christ and he'll give you everything your heart desires, gold, silver, and everything on top of that. It's Jesus Christ, not Jeannie Christ. And again, it says here, in them he has said, a tabernacle for the sun, in verse 5 and 6, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. It's rising as from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end and there's nothing hidden from its heat. And at a time there when many worship the sun, just as many still worship it today, David was wise as he saw it come up and run its circuit to give glory to God, to understand God has put it in its place. But those warnings are there throughout the Word of God because for so many individuals that shun the truth of the Word, they have a desire to worship something. And everyone worships, worships something. Everyone has a God. Even the man who says there is no God. His own philosophies are his God. His own belly is his God. And then groping for a God and yet wanting to still walk in rebellion has so often gravitated to worship the sun and the moon and the stars, which again, just reveal the glory of God. But in their glory, they say, wow, look how grand they are. That must be God. But again, they just reveal the glory of God. But we're warned in Deuteronomy 4.19, and take heed lest you lift your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, and the host of heaven, notice here, you feel driven to worship them and serve them. Let's not be led by our feelings. Let's be led by the word of God which the Lord your God has given to all peoples under the whole earth as a heritage. And that heritage is the witness of God himself. These things declaring the glory of God. Notice here as well in 5 and 6, we see the sun, S-U-N, really being a type of the sun, S-O-N. There's a typology here of Jesus Christ. Not that the sun is Jesus Christ, it's the creation of Jesus Christ. But we see a typology or a picture of Jesus Christ in the sun, in the sense of, first of all, and I know this is out of order, but it's here in five and six, 
It says about the sun, it rejoices like a strong man to run its race. And we know that Christ came with a joy in his heart and he came to run the race, God Almighty becoming man and yet still being God. He ran his race and in his strength, he conquered our enemies of sin, death, Satan and Hades through his death and resurrection. And he did it for the joy set before him. And then notice it says here, there's nothing hidden from its heat. And again, the sun, there's nowhere where the sun doesn't shine. And you're like, well, there's parts where it doesn't shine part of the year, but it comes back around. Listen. And it exposed, there's nothing hidden from it. And indeed, in the new heaven and new earth, there won't be a sun because the Son of God himself will light up the new heaven and new earth for all of eternity. And there's nothing hidden from the sight of Jesus Christ. And that should be something that make our knees knock because, listen, it exposes me as a sinner. And yet, when we come to Christ, we are hidden in Him and we know that we have salvation. And what a glorious thing that is. And then notice as well, David speaks of the Son, which is like a bridegroom coming out of His chamber. And we know that as followers of Christ, we are called the bride of Christ and He is the bridegroom. And indeed, the day is coming when He is coming out of His chamber returning for his church, and then he will come back and we will be with him again to rule and reign over this earth for a thousand years. And we are told throughout the scriptures to be watchful, to be ready. And I think the sun in the sky, as we see it every day, that should be a reminder to us as it's come out again out of its chambers like a bridegroom and it's running its circuit and it's going to set. That's a reminder to us that our bridegroom is coming soon. We look at Matthew 25 and Jesus tells the parable of the ten virgins. And they're waiting for the bridegroom, as was customary in that day. And they all fell asleep. They all got weary and they fell asleep. Yet five had oil for their lamps and five did not. And a shout came out at midnight. Here comes the bridegroom. And the ones with oil were able to light their lamps. And the others said, hey, give me your oil. And they're like, get your own oil. In other words, you, 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 you have to have salvation through you calling out to the Lord. You're not saved through someone else. And indeed, the bridegroom came and, and there was a wedding. And then the others came and they said, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, as surely I say to you, I do not know you. We need to proclaim the gospel so people would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and relationship with them. And as followers of Christ, let's make sure there is a bountiful amount of oil flowing in our life and the personal work of the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. But we are to be watchful. We need to be looking. Let's let the sun in the sky remind us of that. As it's revealing that knowledge, it's, 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 it's putting forth that Jesus is coming soon, like a bridegroom coming out of the chamber. Now notice verse 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgment of the Lord, or the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, more than fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is worn. And in keeping them, there is great reward. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. God's word is perfect. The Ten Commandments are perfect. And they reveal our imperfection. 
As we compare our lives to the law of God that is perfect, it shows that we are sinners and we desperately fall short of his glory. It teaches us that we need a savior. And then you take the life of Christ and compare it to the law of God. He was tempted in every way and he did not sin. And he died for us and rose again from the grave to redeem us, to purchase out of our bondage in his perfect life laid down for us. And that is the gospel message, and that is the message that converts souls. It's the power, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And that's why we need to proclaim the gospel, because souls need to be converted. They need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Notice as well, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Has anyone ever told you about something or some circumstance? Hey, it's a sure thing. And then it turned out it wasn't a sure thing. Let me tell you, God's word is a sure thing. It is 100% accurate. It is 100% prophetic. Isaiah 46, 9, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do my pleasures. The whole Old Testament is about looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. Man sinned, and God said, a Savior's going to come. That serpent will bruise his heel, but he's going to crush that serpent's head. And when Christ came at his, his birth, his life, his death and resurrection, he fulfilled over 300 prophecies. His word is right. His word is sure. There's five times more prophecies concerning his second coming. And you better believe as he fulfilled the first coming, he's going to fulfill his second coming. His word is sure. We look at the days we are living in today. It is a time that is perilous. At a time where the Lord said, don't faint, but pray. And yet the word of God said these things would unfold. We see again Israel coming back as a nation and all the prophecy unfolding there. It's a sure thing. And just as the Lord says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved and there is a heaven waiting for them. That's a sure thing. And all of those reject him whose names are not written in the book of life. It is a sure thing that eternal wrath and hell await them. It is a sure thing. At the end of this chapter, uh, David talks about Sins of, presum uh, of, of presumption or assumption, assumptions made by man that basically say, well, God says this, but I'm assumed this is going to be right instead. And it's not going to work out that way. That's a great transgression. transgression. God's word is a sure thing. Notice here what it says next, making wise the simple. And that's a glorious thing, especially for a guy like me, because I'm a simpleton. I'm just a simple guy. But... There's wisdom available for the simpleton if he gets into the word of God. And then we're also told to ask for wisdom and it will be bestowed upon us. But it makes wise the simple. And some say, but it's so hard to understand. And that's, again, not true at all. Proverbs 8, 8, all the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are plain to him who understands and right to him who finds knowledge. This is not a book of riddles. It can be very intimidating, can it? You get saved in this big old book thrown in your lap. And you're like, where do I even start with this? And then you find out it's four, 66 books, 40 authors on three continents, read over 1,500 years. But there's a continuity in it. There's a consistency in it. You notice I teach the word, and what do I use for commentary on the word? The word itself. And it brings wisdom. I think about Peter and John and the disciples, a bunch of fishermen, kind of a bunch of leftovers and so forth that didn't qualify for 
Sajesty school. And yet God was working mighty in their lives there in Acts 4. And men were getting saved and people were being healed and the glory of God was being revealed. And the Pharisees were panicking because they're like, what do we do with this? We're not going to be in the limelight. And I love it, Acts 4, 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated and untrained men, they were just simple guys, they marveled, and notice what it says next, and they realized they had been with Jesus. If you want to get with Jesus, get on your knees, talk to him, and open up the word of God. Verse 8, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Again, God's word is right. God's word is righteous. Today, God's word is under great attack. There's people calling God's word evil. There are our neighbors to the north. There are parts of Canada that if you recite certain scripture verses, you will be arrested and be cited with hate speech because they say that is wrong. And most of it revolves around the issue of marriage and sexuality that the Bible makes very clear, right, in Genesis. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. Is, is that complicated? Pretty simple, right? Jesus said from the beginning, God made the male and female, real simple. Science, science, believe it or not, backs that up. We believe in science. Well, science, yeah, there's a man, there's a woman. We want to go with what we feel. It just brings confusion and it brings, my heart breaks for our younger generation. Go with what you feel, not versus what is true. Oh man, the fruit it's already birthing is just tragic. His word is right. And his word endures forever. Let's stand in the, let's stand in what's right. And notice here, it says here, rejoicing the heart. And there's a joy in standing in the word. I'll tell you, that which is right brings joy, and that which is wrong brings destruction. Proverbs 22, 8, he who sows iniquity will reap sorrow, and the rod of his anger will fell. And then notice, again, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Our eyes are open through the word of God, and that we get purified, our minds get renewed. There's a lot of corruption, even after we get saved, positionally right with God, practically there's corruption and impurities and stuff that need to get washed out. And that happens through getting into the word of God. There's a cleansing agent that comes with the word of God. God tells husbands to wash their wife with, you know what, the, the, the water of the word. And God absolutely wants to wash us with the water of the word. And it produces a clean life. You want to live a clean life, get into the word of God, because it will produce a fear of God in your life. It will renew your mind. As this is in Proverbs or Psalms 1, 11, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's a purifying that happens there versus, again, all the things of this age that are falsehoods and so forth, which brings a corruption. The fear of the Lord is a wonderful thing. It brings wisdom. It's, it's the understanding of, yes, what God says is true, and I'm not going to assume that God's going to fudge the books for me or for this generation. The fear of the Lord keeps you from stupidity, and it produces, again, a purity in your life. Not that we're striving for our own salvation. That's been achieved through the cross of Calvary, but we are called to be holy, not legalistic, but to be holy. 
And again, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And again, that is the same today. And this is why it is so important that we're not ashamed of Christ or his words today in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation that we've been saved out of, Mark 8:38. His word is true. His word is righteous. Again, all together. Notice all together. It's not, well, this is true, but that's not true. And yes, I like this verse. It seems righteous, but that one over there, I don't agree with it. It doesn't set right with me. So I'm just going to assume that that was not for today. That's not for me because I have a good intention of what I'm doing. We're going to see here again, that's a great transgression. We need the fear of the Lord to purify us and get that way of thinking out of us. Verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Not just gold, but fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. His word is better than gold. Proverbs 8, 11, wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. Listen, you can buy stuff with gold, but the more stuff you get without wisdom, listen, the more it will be to your demise. And you can have all the gold on the earth, which all the gold ever mined can only fill up three Olympic-sized swimming pools. That's why it's so valuable. And that's why they want your used cell phones and computers, because there's a little bit of gold in there, and it's very rare. But all the gold in the world, which is just three Olympic-sized swimming pools, do you think that can redeem your soul? Do you think God's impressed with three Olympic-sized swimming pools of gold? This is why Jesus says, said in Matthew 8, 36, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Even if he had all the gold in the world, three Olympic-sized swimming pools, no, nah, we needed the shed blood of the lamb, a perfect life laid down because... The judgments of the Lord are true. And the judgment of God says, I need men that are perfect, that are without sin. And that only comes through the God-man, Jesus Christ. And again, they're sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And again, it's a sweetness that doesn't become bitter in your stomach. Like the adulteress we read about in Proverbs 5, where it says her lips drip like honey and yet... Her door leads to hell. It's like wormwood. Compare that to Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Have you tasted? Have you seen that he's good? Can you say amen to that? Verse 11, moreover, by them your servant, notice here, your servant is warned. Your servant is the one who is taking heed. This is God's love letter for his children. We are warned. And these warnings, again, aren't to hurt us but to bless us and give us life. We've looked at many of these warnings already in this text. Talking about the boundaries of marriage. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall, a warning there to be watchful and look, looking for the coming of the Lord. We think of Galatians 6 where it says, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. And in this, he says, there's great reward for his servant versus those that want to rebel, those that want to suppress the truth and unrighteousness they shun those warnings. They mock those warnings. They act as if they assume those posted warnings and consequences will ne never be levied on them. And instead of being partakers of great reward with those that have faith in Jesus Christ, there is a great disappointment that is waiting. And I'll tell you, for the believer, there is great reward here in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. 
And boy, the fruit that is birthed in our lives when we abide in Him. And then what greater reward than having eternal life. And I would hope we would all long when we stand before Him to hear those words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Can you think of anything greater than that? God saying, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Or I got ten, or three Olympic-sized swimming pools full of gold. Jump in and have a bath in it then. This one has fine gold in it. We'll close here on these last three verses. With all this said, David says, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. And this is the context of servants. Who can understand his servants' errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Because David understood, listen, I can see my errors, but there's even more than I realize. And in humility, he was saying, Lord, cleanse me. Cleanse me from even the stuff that's in my life that in my short-sightedness, I can't even see there. Even cleanse me from that. And, and that's really the heart of someone submitted to the Lord. Cleanse me of all of it, Lord. And, and then even bring revelation. And indeed he does. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John 1, 9. And then notice 13. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless. I shall be innocent of great transgressions. Think about King Saul, the Amalekites were wanting to destroy Israel and cut off the promise of Messiah. And God told Saul, go in and slaughter every last one of them. And some say, how horrible. Listen, these people had a witness for hundreds of years and they chose to shun the living God. And there's a time when all of us are going to give account for our lives. And it was a time for the Amalekites. And Saul didn't do that, did he? He spared the king and he spared individuals got away because we read about them later and Esther resurfacing. But he just assumed. God said, wipe them all out. But he assumed, listen, you know what? I'm going to be bold about this because we need this stuff. And I'm going to assume that God's going to fudge the books for me. I am the king, you know. And that day, his kingdom was torn from him. That day, everything changed. Again, he, that day, the Spirit of God ceased coming upon him, and instead, an evil spirit came upon him. He gave himself, and he gave dominion over to the enemy. And again, as Christians, we can't be demon-possessed, but boy, we can be demon-oppressed and influenced. And if you want to walk around assuming that your opinion is equal to God's word and mixing them together like the Laodicean church, that is a great transgression. But boy, that's where so many are today. Again, Laodicea, it means man's opinion and that lukewarm is man's opinion brought in with the word of God. It creates something lukewarm and Jesus says, I'm going to spit that out of my mouth. It's a great transgression. And this word here is set to put a fear of God in our hearts, to understand the purity of God's word, the correctness, the righteousness of it, and so forth, that we would say, I'm going to stand in the word, and I'm not just going to assume that, you know what, this doesn't apply to me. If you've been doing that in an area of your life, boy, I so encourage you to get your mind renewed. God's word is right, and it's 
it reigns over any of our assumptions. Let's not be presumptuous when it comes to the Word of God. Because in that, again, you're going to give dominion, you're going to give a stronghold to the wicked one. Make no mistake about it. If you say, ah, the sun can go down on my anger. Well, Ephesians says you're going to give a stronghold to the enemy. And then it talks about sin, giving a stronghold to the enemy. I think there's a lot of Christians running around. You know what? And instead of bearing the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the flesh are there. and The joy of the Lord is no longer there because they just assume they can walk in rebellion and it's all right. And it's a great transgression that Christ died for. Let's walk worthy of the call of Christ. And let's start by being real with them. You're like, but I've assumed so much. Where do I start? Just be honest with them. Lord, I've been in rebellion against you. I've set up these relationships and these things just assuming that it's fine and okay. I lay it all down before you. And then just start dealing with those things as they come up. God is gracious. This is a humble and contrite art. There was a tax collector who just assumed he could steal from people, and he did it for many years, years, and years. And then he realized one day, I'm a stinking thief. I'm a flat-out thief. I'm bullying these people out of their money. And he went there to the temple. What did he do? He said, be merciful to me, Lord, a sinner. And he went away that day forgiven, and everything changed. Everything changed that day for him. But the Pharisee assumed that, well, I'm pretty high and mighty, so God accepts me the way I am. Oh, what a gross assumption. His sin even practically was worse than the Pharisees because he was stealing souls, the souls of people. A son of hell making, you know what, sons of hell. Verse 14 Again, with all this said, David says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Now again, so many of our words are being redefined. Meditation means to think. Today it's been deduced to, I don't think. And I sit there and I repeat something over and over again and I get everything out of my mind, then I'll have a spiritual experience. And you will. It won't be a Holy Spirit experience. It will be a false spirit experience. And a lot of this stuff is being Christianized. It's called contemplative prayer. It goes back to the ancient monks, the fourth century Catholic priests who went out and got enlightened by the men of the East who worshiped the sun. And today it's coming to broad stream Christianity. Empty your mind. We'll have some spiritual formation and let's go into this, these breath prayers and whatnot. We're to worship God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. You can't do that when you check out. We're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And just as if a believer and non-believer get together and want to smoke some chronic, listen, both of them are going to trip out. You want to get together and go meditate, you will have an experience. And in both of those things, you will open yourself up to deceiving spirits. And I'll tell you, a lot of the emerging unbiblical theology today comes out of meditation of the new age kind. David says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. David is in a place with all this said, as I look at the stars, I want to meditate on your glory. As I open the word, I want to meditate upon scripture because what comes out of our mouth is reflective of what we're thinking about in our heart. And then he says, oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Who's your strength today? Listen, my God, if, if it's not the Lord, my God has quite a notable achievement. 
He spoke and all this happened. Is it your strength? You're like, I need that strength. Well, Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And then notice here, my redeemer. David understood he needed to be redeemed. He understood that we were sold into slavery when we sinned, when man sinned in the garden and we've all been born into that. We've walked in that. We are in bondage to our sin under condemnation. Slaves under the sway of the wicked one. And all the gold in the world cannot purchase us out of that. What was necessary? A sinless man. A man who could fill the law. Fulfill it. And Jesus Christ did that. And he stood in my place. Sin came through one man and salvation comes through one man. Titus 2.14. Speaking of Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Do you realize, listen, is Jesus your Lord today? Can you see him into that? You're special. We're a special people. We've been redeemed. We've been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. Let's walk worthy of that. Let's walk worthy of that call. Let's be a people of the word. Let's walk in honesty before the Lord like David's doing here. You know what? Cleanse me from my secret faults. The Lord will meet you where you're at in that. And if you don't know him, you've heard the gospel several times this morning, the bad news that we are under sin, we are under condemnation, but Jesus Christ paid the price. And if you humble your heart, turn from whatever your Lord is to put your faith in Jesus Christ to be your Lord, you'll be saved this morning. He'll begin to work in you, he'll be faithful to complete it. He'll seal you with the Holy Spirit of God. He'll put your name in the Lamb's book of life. And he will begin the work. If that's you today, you call on him today. We'd love to put a Bible in your hands. Listen, you're not saved through Refuge Church, but we are here to help equip the body of Christ for the work of the ministry. And we would love to help equip you. And again, everything here I'd say tested to Scripture. Everything that's said or tested to Scripture, that's our final authority. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up and close in prayer. Lord, we praise you today. We give you glory. I, I would hope and pray we leave here today more in love with you. I pray we leave here even more aware of what's around us and how it gives you glory and what's being communicated through creation. We leave here with more of a zeal for your word and a fear of God in our hearts when it comes to the word of God. And absolutely, Lord, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Again, if you don't know him, call on him today. Humble your heart as our tax collector did and he said, be merciful to me, Lord, a sinner. He was calling out for God to be the Lord of his life. He was yielding. He was turning from serving his own belly and thiefing others. And he said, no longer do I want to do this. I want to be forgiven. I want to be washed. And Jesus Christ, the creator of this world, said in conjunction with the Father and the Holy Spirit, that man went away forgiven. Call on him if you don't know him. Let's lift our voices to him. Let's give praise to our God.
Amen. I pray God will bless you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Encourage you to encourage someone before you leave today. And again, have a wonderful day in the Lord.